Hey, Bankless Nation, welcome to the Meet the Nation. Today, we are exploring Hop Protocol with CEO and founder, Chris Winfrey. Hop Protocol is a, a cross L2, cross chain liquidity protocol, allowing you to hop from one L2 to another L2 to another L2 without having to go through the bottlenecks of the L1. Uh, so the way that this works is that Hop has contracts on the L1. It also also has contracts on all the L2s. And it also has these uh, other uh, Hop tokens that are accounting tools and using all of these collections of technologies as well as actual USDC or USDT or ETH liquidity on all the uh, all the L2s. It allows users to hop around all the L2s without having to touch the L1. So we go into the details about how this works, the technical uh, te technical capabilities of the Hop protocol, what it's like for a user. Uh, we ask the question: What can Hop go from L1 to L1? Can it can it go and can it also go from L2 of an L1 to a different L2 of a different L1? Uh, and then we also ask about the the organization of Hop Protocol, how it came to be, what its future roadmaps are, and so overall, a pretty I think thorough, in depth, and efficient conversation of Hop Protocol. So, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation and learn all about Hop Protocol. There's links in the show notes with uh, linking to their Discord and Telegram or if they have one, uh, and Twitter. Uh, so if you want to join the Hop community, you can go ahead and click those links there. Uh, so let's go ahead and get right into it. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. And now it's live and has over 100 projects deployed. Gas fees on Ethereum L1 suck. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. And that's why teams like Arbitrum have been hard at work developing layer two solutions that makes transactions on Ethereum cheap and instant. Arbitrum increases Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and overall make a better user experience, go to developers.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. And if you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps being built on Arbitrum. Many DeFi applications on the Ethereum L1 are migrating over to layer twos like Arbitrum, and some are even skipping over the layer ones entirely and deploying directly on layer two. There's so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so go to bridge.arbitrum.io now and start bridging over your ETH or any of the tokens listed and start having the DeFi or NFT experience that you've always wanted. Living a bankless life requires taking control over your own private keys. Not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallet, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is much more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger Live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite DeFi apps all in one spot, Ledger Live is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy your crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into all of the DeFi apps and services that you're used to. Using Ledger Live, you can stake your ETH in Lido, swap on DEXs like Paraswap, or display your NFTs with Rainbow. You can also use Wallet Connect inside of Ledger Live to connect to all the other DeFi apps that keep coming online. DeFi never stops growing, and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all of the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has, and stay tuned as more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab a ledger, 
download Ledger Live, and get all of your DeFi apps all in one space. Hey, Bankless Nation. Today, we are here with Chris Winfrey, the co-founder and CEO of Hop Protocol, which is one of the emerging uh, inter-L2, inter-chain uh, liquidity protocols that allow you to hop from one chain to another chain without having to go through some of the frictions of actually using the codified gateway between these two things. Uh, so Chris, welcome to the Meet the Nation. Hey, David. Uh, really excited to be on the show. So uh, let's start at the very, very beginning. Uh, where did Hot Protocol come about and what was kind of the initial inception idea? Yeah, so, so um, our team was originally working on a contract-based account called Ethereum. Um, and so we started that about a couple of years ago and, and kind of saw an opportunity to really streamline the UX on Ethereum. And we, we felt like we made a bunch of good improvements. Um, but ultimately, when we started, it cost about 30 cents to deploy this contract-based account for users. And by the time DeFi took off and really drove those gas prices up, then it, then it was over $200. And, and so we had to push this cost over to users. And then just, to, just for them to get started, it had this just huge barrier of entry. Um, so we started looking for ways to kind of get our users onto layer two and, and um, started connecting Ethereum with different layer twos. But we were still seeing that users like weren't really saving gas. They were kind of moving to layer two, uh, making a few transactions, and then and then coming back to layer one. And just those bridge costs were, were more than if they just used something like Uniswap on, on layer one. Um, so we, we realized like, okay, if, if Ethereum has a future, we really need our users to get onto layer two and to stay on layer two. And, and just to be layer two native citizens, they, they never touch layer one where they would have to deploy this uh, contract-based account. Um, and so we, we started kind of iterating on different ideas, put out a, a white paper and a demo of uh, Hot Protocol and ETH Research, um, and, and that started to get some traction. Um, you know, at the time, you know, Vitalik was starting to talk about, uh, you know, a, a roll-up centric uh, roadmap for Ethereum. And, and we kind of realized that, okay, maybe this has the opportunity to be core Ethereum infrastructure, uh, where, where we need a way to kind of connect these different roll-ups and, and layer twos. Um, and, and just decided to go all in and, and focus on, on Hot Protocol. So one of the design philosophies that I think you articulated is that it, it's great if Ethereum has all of these layer twos and you can do all these things on the layer twos. But if uh, we have all these layer twos, then people, we would imagine people be, they would be going between all these layer twos and going back to the layer one to go to a different layer two kind of almost defeats the purpose of having a layer two at all, right? If you still have to funnel through the choke point of uh, high gas fees, low block space environment of the layer one. So the idea uh, of hop is uh, just increasing the, the, experience of what like what exa exactly what you said which i really enjoyed which was uh, being a layer two citizen uh and so if you can uh just hop around all the layer twos you actually completely uh re remove that constraint of the high gas fees bottleneck that uh, that everyone has to to go through by touching the ethereum l1 anything anything you want to add to that oh uh, that's exactly right yeah okay so uh so let's see, where, where, how does it actually work on a technical level? What does it mean to hop from one layer to, to another? Um, maybe we can start with like, what does it feel like from the user perspective? What's that uh, feel like? And then uh, technically, how does that operate on the back end? Sure. Um, so from a, a user perspective, uh, we, we just exposed this very, you know, it's a Uniswap-like interface. It feels like you're using a, a cross-layer or cross-chain uh, AMM, where you can just kind of deposit assets in one end, and then um, after some time, you'll get assets 
uh, at the other end. So, so you can transfer assets in about the time it takes for the source chain to reach finality, uh, which is about five to 10 minutes. The source chain, um, that is the chain that you are leaving or is that the chain that you are going towards? The, the uh, chain that you're leaving. Okay. Um, so so that, that's basically the, the user experience and, and something that we've been very careful to you know, not introduce a second transaction and, and just make that, uh, is, and try to abstract kind of the, this underlying uh, technology from, from the user and make it as, as smooth as possible. So um, when you say it's like a Uniswap style um, interface, uh, when I go to Uniswap, I have two tokens that I select. I have, you know, I want, I have Ether and I want USDC. Actually, it's almost always the inverse. I have USDC and I want Ether. Um, <laughs> if for you guys, is it, I am on Arbitrum and I want to be on Optimism? Is that, is, uh, so we just swap out the tokens and instead replace it with destinations? Yeah, that's exactly right. You'll select an asset and then um, a network that you're coming from and then a network that you're you're going to. Okay. And then can you also swap uh, exchange tokens in the meantime, or is that just a completely different feature? Not not right now, uh, but it's, it's definitely something that, that uh, we're talking about addressing in, in the future. Okay. All right. So very cool. So uh, I have a bunch of uh, USDC or Ether on uh, one L1, L2, and then I want to, it to go to a different L2. How is this actually facilitated on a technical level? Sure. So, so th there's a few layers to hop. And, and so the very, very core layer is, is basically this uh, way to scalably send messages from, from one rollup to the next. And, and so the, the way this works is, is each scaling solution already has a message bridge uh, with uh, layer one Ethereum. So, so this basically allows contracts on Ethereum to call contracts on layer two and contracts on layer two to call contracts on Ethereum. And when you say a message bridge, that is just like the bridge, right? Like when I say, I, when I want to get my money from, to, from L1 to Arbitrum or L1 to Optimism, I use the bridge. Is this a, that's the same bridge as the message, message bridge or is that a different piece of infrastructure? So, so we call that the, the native token bridge and the native yeah. token bridges are also built on top of this core message bridge. Okay. And so, um, so, so if you imagine uh, the, the message bridge allows contracts to call each other, then what the native bridge is going to do is it's going to allow you to lock up USDC on layer one. And then that's going to send a message to uh, mint USDC for you on layer two. And then on the inverse, if you burn USDC on layer two, then it will send a message down to layer one. Uh, to, to release that USDC on layer one. Mm -hmm. uh, the caveat is that, that for optimistic rollups, the message from layer two to layer one takes a full week uh, for it to be executed on layer one. And, and this allows time for the, the challenge game to play out um, in, in order to make sure everything's secure. And then with, with ZK rollups, the, the message can only propagate as fast as uh, that ZK rollup uh, checkpoints. And, and so a, a ZK rollup checkpoint is pretty expensive. So sometimes it will happen every half an hour. Sometimes it will happen every six hours, depending on how scaled up that, that rollup is. But, but you know, even exiting a ZK rollup can still be um, slow, depending on the scale. Okay. And that's an important point to drive home. Like even in our fastest rollups that we have, ZK rollups, it's still a 30-minute wait time. Which, uh, I mean, I get frustrated when I have to wait five minutes for my transactions to clear on Ethereum. So like from a user UX experience, like 30 minutes is going to be even more frustrating, even if they get used to it, like we can still iterate on this. And again, that's the fastest 
time to go from uh, a layer two to a layer one. Uh, and so like with optimis optimistic rollups, which are both optimism and Arbitrum, it takes upwards of seven days. Uh, and so if you want to use these bridge, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but going from the L1 to Arbitrum or Optimism, it's it's more or less instantaneous, but getting back out is takes seven days uh, for optimistic rollups. So there's a huge UX problem here, almost no matter what. Exactly right, yeah. And, and, so, um, and, and so we have these message bridges that we can leverage. And, and so you can imagine if we want to talk from, from one rollup, uh, rollup A to rollup B, then the naive approach would be, okay, send a message down to layer one and then send that message back up to layer two at, at the destination. And then we kind of have this communication right. Uh, link. Right, where um, you bounce off the layer one to go off to a different destination. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the problem with that is that this creates this huge bottleneck with layer one. So if, you know, if we imagine that, that our layer two environments are way more scalable, we have lots and lots of messages. And if each of those messages needs to propagate one by one through layer one Ethereum, then it just creates this bottleneck, bottleneck it's expensive and, and just doesn't really get us the scalability we want. Mm -hmm. so, so the core innovation behind Hop is that we uh, will aggregate many messages um, at the, on the source chain, the chain that you're leaving, um, and then we will uh, periodically commit those. And, and so when we commit them, we, we aggregate all those messages into this really compact data structure. Um, I'm sure you guys have talked about Merkle trees. Uh, and and uh, you basically just have a single hash that represents all of this data. And then we can propagate that hash through layer one uh, that represents um, you know, thousands of messages on, to the destination layer two. And then we can unpack it at the destination. And then that kind of creates this this scalable roll-up to roll-up uh, messaging protocol. Okay, so that is like the 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 settling up between two layers, right? Uh, and so mm -hmm. maybe maybe there's just a, a bunch of USDC that flows from one L2 to another L2. That's not settled. Uh, a bunch of things happen. Uh, maybe a bunch of things more happen. Maybe a bunch of things more and more happen. And like the analogy here is kind of like a bar tab. Uh, that everyone uses, and people usually typically use the bar tab analogy to talk about a payment channel, which I think Hop Protocol might be, but we'll we'll talk about that. Um, and then, so what you're saying is like you Hop Protocol allows for a bunch of economic activity to happen, a lot of a lot of people going to the bar and asking for a drink without actually a transaction settling to Visa, the Visa network. Uh, but then periodically you do settle up, and the assets do actually flow from like the Arbitrum. Uh, contract on the layer one to the optimism contract also on the layer one and allows the actual rollups to settle up with each other based off of hops sort of like off-chain transaction um, ledger that, that it has. Is this all correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I wouldn't, we, we have very, uh, a lot of similarities to uh, payment channels and, and, you know, specifically that we make a bunch of payments and then we do this kind of batch uh, settlement, but then, but then like structurally it, it Turns out a little different, but that's where um, the similarities end. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, how um, does Hot Protocol actually like account for the net of all of the assets that are transferred cross chain? Mm -hmm. So, so, so that's kind of this next layer, and and, and so uh, Hop has this intermediary uh, asset that we call H tokens, mm -hmm. um, and, and so it, it depends on what assets being bridged, but it could be like H USDC, uh, H ETH. And so just the, like- Are talking, these just like hop IOUs? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and actually, you know, you can think of basically every token on layer two 
uh, as an IOU, because, right. you know, even with the native bridge, you're locking up an asset on layer one right. and, and minting something on layer two. And so basically this is hops version uh, of that, um, that lives alongside the, the native token version. We call that the canonical asset. So like right. canonical USDC, that's right. going to be the one that's used in Aave, Uniswap, um, et cetera. Um, and so the reason we introduce our, our own intermediary asset, the, these H tokens, uh, is because we need to build this special functionality into them that, that we can't build into the canonical assets. And, and so um, specifically, when, when you deposit into uh, the, the layer one hop bridge contract, uh, you, you'll uh, mint an H uh, token. So if you deposit USDC, you'll mint to HUSDC on layer two. Um, and that, that functions just the same as the native bridge. But the difference is that when you burn um, HUSDC or another H token on layer two, uh, we have a role called the bonder that can mint uh, HUSDC at another destination for you. Um, because hot protocol needs, um, it needs, what's the right word? It, need, it needs its, its self-sovereignty. It needs its own ability to manage its own currency to account for the differences between the currencies across the different L2s, right? Exactly right, yeah. Okay, so like, wait, so is it, so I have USDC on Ethereum uh, mm -hmm. and I deposit it into Arbitrum and then, then I get USDC on Arbitrum. But like you said, that's actually an IOU. So it's actually Arbitrum USDC that is an IOU of USDC on the main Ethereum chain. And then when you mint a hop USDC, aren't you actually minting H? Arbitrum USDC, so it's HAUSDC because you are making an, an, an IOU for Arbitrum USDC, which is making an IOU for USDC on the main chain. Is that right? Yeah, the, the naming gets a little confusing, but I, right. I would think of it as, as um, you know, the, the canonical USDC is kind of an IOU, uh, a promise to be able to claim um, USDC from the, the native token bridge contract on layer one, whereas mm -hmm. HUSDC is a promise to claim um, layer one USDC in the hop bridge contract on layer one. Okay. Okay. Hop bridge contract on layer one. Is the hop bridge contract on layer one also part of the Arbitrum or Optimism contracts or is that something, is that separate? It, it's separate. And then it will also be connected to Arbitrum, Optimism, um, Polygon, okay. and XDAX. Okay. So it's like, it's more, not rather than stacking on top, it's more in parallel. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, cool. And and so 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 that's kind of how the um, yeah that that's kind of how the H tokens exist. And then um, in terms of uh, you know transporting an H token from one role to the next, we, the user basically burns an H token, uh, specifies the destination, and then we have a bonder. And and, and so the bonder is able to fully verify these rollups. Um, you know, in, in the time it takes for layer one finality. Uh, and, and so the, with rollups, you kind of have two finalities. You have kind of like off-chain finality, which you can determine um, pretty fast uh, in five to 10 minutes because you can actually, you know, look at the, the chain of uh, transactions and, and compute the, the state and make sure that, that you're correct. Um, but you can't do that on-chain because you can't run all those transactions. Otherwise, we wouldn't be scaling Ethereum. Um, and, and so that's why it takes a week for uh, kind of on-chain finality. Um, but the bonder, they're fully verifying things in real time. They see the event, H tokens were, were burned, HUSDC was burned. Um, and then they have uh, collateral locked up at the destination and, and they'll use that collateral to mint HUSDC for the user at the destination. Mm -hmm. um, so now, you know, imagine they, they uh, facilitate a bunch of these transfers, they've locked up a bunch of collateral and they, they can't unlock that collateral until they receive uh, proof that 
uh, HUSDC was was burned at the source um, because we want to make sure that the hot bridge contract remains uh, fully collateralized. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the uh, the the message bridge comes in, the hot the hot message bridge. So you know, after many people have transferred, we we uh, aggregate those into our our compact data structure, um, and then you know we propagate this. We call it a transfer route or a message route. Um, you know, through layer one to the destination. Once that reaches the destination, uh, then the bonder can can settle up and and their their collateral is unlocked. So so that's kind of how you can move an H token from one place to the next pretty immediately, and then the settlement process happens over time. Okay, so like in my mind, the H tokens are like this shadow token, the shadow that like yeah. follows the actual real token. But it has the uh, the self sovereignty that Hot Protocol needs in order to move like at the speed of light, uh, and so uh, the way that Hot Protocol allows for like this like near instantaneous transfer of uh, you know asset to uh, from asset to chain to chain to chain is that you guys actually have the actual assets on all of the chain on on all the chains, and so somebody on chain A. Uh, can go to chain B because Hot Protocol actually has the USDC on both sides. And then the H tokens are that communication uh, accounting tool that because Hot Protocol, the Hot Protocol contract on the L1, um, it, uh, it can manipulate the destination of the tokens as it sees fit, unlike it, how that it's not true for USDC or Ether. Um, and so it can manipulate the balances on all the other chains to account for the trend, the transferring of USDC or, or any other token across all of the chains. Is that right? Yeah. And this, this is all done completely trustlessly. It's all fully collateralized. Um, mm-hmm. it, it basically it is um, completely relies on the security of Ethereum and the, the different scaling solutions that you're using. Well, we, we like that word trustlessly. Um, what, what happens, uh, how, how does, um, what happens if like all, for some reason, everyone is on Arbitrum and they want to go to a different L2? So like, I, like Arbitrum, I'm just using Arbitrum just because everyone, everyone is on uh, layer 2A. And then all, for, for some reason, there's, a, there's an economic event that means everyone needs to go to a different layer 2, layer 2B. And all of the liquidity flees out of layer uh, 2A. How does uh, how do, and then and then therefore everyone who's left on layer two is stuck because you guys uh, hot protocol has lost of its all of its available assets because everyone has used up all of like the bandwidth. How does mm-hmm. hot protocol like redistribute to account for like different bandwidth requirements across all the layer twos? Mm-hmm. So so actually to to take a step back so so uh, we have this H H USDC and th- this is kind of like the second layer but but the H H tokens aren't what the users want they they are using these actual canonical tokens mm-hmm. um, and, and so that's kind of like the third layer of Hop so so at the core we have this message bridge and then we have the the second layer this intermediary asset and then at the third layer we have uh, AMMs um, mm-hmm. so we have an AMM between the canonical asset and the H uh, H token. And so when a user is bridging from Arbitrum to Optimism, they'll swap USDC to HUSDC, that HUSDC is burned, and then the bonder will mint HUSDC at the destination. And then that's automatically swapped out into USDC and, and ends up in, in the user's wallet. From a user perspective, it's just one, one transaction for the whole okay. flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these AMMs actually play an important role in, in terms of like balancing across the chains uh, as well. It, so if we see a huge flow from say Arbitrum to Optimism, um, then you know it will cause um, the, the uh, USDC on Arbitrum to start uh, trading 
um, at a discount, and then the the USDC on on uh, optimism to to start trading at a, a premium. And this actually incentivizes uh, folks to um, rebalance these chains um, through with with like uh, large uh, settlement transactions through layer one. Um, so they can kind of redistribute the assets across the chains and and then profit off that based on the arbitrage opportunities that the AMS present. Right. Very clever. That definitely seemed like the right place for economic incentives. How, how are these AMMs constructed? Are they more like a curve where the actual shape of the AMM is differentiated or is it more like Uniswap V3 where you can have concentrated liquidity? So, so it's more like curve, a stable swap. Um, they are like kind assets. You know, uh, mm-hmm. th- there shouldn't be any reason for you know, USDC and HUSDC to uh, diverge because ultimately you can claim either one on layer one for layer one USDC. Um, and, and same with, you know, ETH and HETH and all, all the other assets that we support. Um, so yeah, right now we're, we're using the uh, stable swap construction. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Chris about Hot Protocol thus far. Coming up in the second half of the show, we go into more details about the technical details of the Hot Protocol, as well as the future roadmap, and also just a more casual conversation about uh, what Chris thinks about the current state of DeFi uh, and where we are overall going, and also talk about yield and how Hop can offer just a uh, sustainable source of yield for all those stablecoin yield seekers out there. So more coming up in the second half of the show, but first a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Matcha, everyone's favorite dex aggregator, has just launched an open beta for gasless trading. So if you're trading more than $5,000 in common ETH and wrapped Bitcoin pairs, then your gas fees on Matcha are free. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible price without any trading fees or unnecessary slippage. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your orders across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single and easy to use platform and has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and getting a bad price. Matcha also allows you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless, connect your wallet, and start getting some of the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Alchemix is one of the coolest new DeFi apps on the scene. It introduces self-paying loans, allowing you to spend and save at the same time. Deposit the DAI stablecoin into the Alchemix vault in order to get an advance on the interest it generates. Borrow up to 50% of the total amount of your deposited DAI in the form of AL-USD stablecoin. Here's the craziest part. The loan pays itself back and you cannot be liquidated. Unlock your assets potential in the ultimate DeFi savings account. And brand new to Alchemix is the ETH vault where you can deposit ETH into the application, borrow AL-ETH against your deposits while having your advance gradually paid back over time. V2 is rapidly approaching, which will allow for even more collateral types, plus a variety of yield strategies to choose from. Harness the power of Alchemix at alchemix.fi. That's A-L-C-H-E-M-I-X dot F-I. Follow Alchemix on Twitter at AlchemixFI and join the Discord to keep up to date with Alchemix V2 and to get involved in governance. Uh, Can Hop bridge non-EVM chains? It can. 
Yes. And, and so uh, we haven't supported them yet. Uh, it, it would just be a matter of uh, re-implementing um, our uh, layer two bridge contract for mm -hmm. whatever the, the scaling solutions. But, um, you know, we do plan on, on supporting um, uh, Starkware and, and uh, ZK Sync and, and other ZK rollups. Um, and, and then eventually we'd like to support uh, like disjointed layer ones as well. But uh, that, that's kind of a different problem set than what we're addressing right now. Okay. So it seems to be that uh, any roll-up, EVM or not, um, that settles to Ethereum, that seems like a relatively uh, uh, surmountable obstacle because there's only one canonical hop contract on one canonical Ethereum L1. That seems like a, a task that can be overcome. Uh, getting from uh, one L1 to a different L1 or or an L2 on one L1 to a different L2 on a different L1, that seems like a taller task because now there has to be two different hop contracts on two different L1s. Um, is, is that, is that I'm on, on something here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's okay. exactly right. Can you describe how that, how that problem works? Yeah. So, so it, it's a very different problem set. It's something that, that, you know, we wouldn't use the core, the core technology behind hop uh, for this. We, we would kind of, uh, develop something new. And, and so uh, this would probably involve um, some new validator set to to basically attest that, okay, you know, tokens, each tokens were burned at the, um, you know, some disjointed layer one, uh, and we can release the token on layer one Ethereum or on, uh, or mint each tokens on an Ethereum L2. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so this validator set, you know, won't share the same security as Ethereum. It, it will be as secure right. as that validator set. Uh, It'll is. be like a multi-sig validator set of sorts. Yeah, but but that's kind of you know the best that you can do. Um, right. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, listeners will be reminded of our episode with uh, Rune Christensen, who had a lot to say about security assumptions across layer ones using multi-sigs. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, can one uh, is who can provide liquidity? in hop right now uh is that a, like a closed environment and then what's the long-term game plan for that yeah so so we think of the, there's two types of liquidity in hop and we call this uh passive liquidity and active liquidity and so passive liquidity is basically liquidity in the amms you just kind of set it you have very low risk of impermanent loss uh and you can just kind of earn trading fees and then maybe stake it uh if there's liquidity mining um and then we have active liquidity, and, and this is the bonder process. It's it's a lot more like running an ETH2 validator, where where you kind of set up your server, you have some process that's constantly listening for events and and making transactions. Um, and and so right now uh, the bridges are set up just one bonder uh, per bridge, and, and so the worst a bonder can do is be offline. And when the bonder's offline, the the transaction will still propagate. Uh, as fast as the exit time of of the the source uh, rollup, so the the rollup that you're starting on. Um, so so you know even though th there there's just like one party that's doing this right now, uh, they they don't they're not taking custody of funds. They're not not uh, presenting additional risk. They can just be unavailable basically. And in the next version of Hop, we're going to support multiple bonders uh, per per an asset, and then after that, we're going to have a completely decentralized bonder network. And so, so what's really cool about when we get to that point where we have this uh, decentralized bonder network, or even multiple bonders, is that it, it becomes a one of n trust model, and this is just for being available. You know, right right now, it, it, it's trustless in terms of uh, of uh, custodianship. But then in terms of like, you know, is your asset going to move, you know, 
very, very fast, or is it going to kind of move at the slower pace? You know, it, that, that is still now one of one, but it's going to become one of N, which is, is, you know, you know, you just need right. one honest right. ponder to, to, for it to go through. Very cool. Do you have any sort of uh, like metrics that you've uh, been able to discover over the last few weeks or so, uh, or actually months now that Hot Protocol has been alive for a while about like the, the level of yield that liquidity providers are getting from this? It, it, so it fluctuates a lot. We just uh, launched our ETH bridge um, last week, uh, you know, on, on like a daily basis. Some some people were making, you know, 15 plus percent on ETH. Uh, I oh would my, on a, like 15% that, in a day? No, no, no. Sorry. Uh, oh, yearly, know, added, yearly compounded. Okay. Yeah. Yearly I was about to say like, hey, hang on, just take all my ETH. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, based on a very like short window. And, and sure. so I would expect that to be um, competed down. Uh, but, but so far, you know, the, the yields have been good. Um, and yeah, you can also earn, um, you know, stable coin yields. And again, there's very low risk of impermanent loss. So, so I, I don't think there's many opportunities to earn the kind of uh, yields that, that, uh, hop LPs are earning at least for ETH. Right. Uh, extrapolating that, this out into what uh, me and Anthony Susano call the, the nexus of Ethereum, where there's many, many L2s and there's uh, many, many uh, economic actors hopping between all these L2s. This is going to be a, like a uh, kind of like a, a Ethereum's like uh, economic heat, where, where all the transferring around is causing a bunch of just like fees and, and yield to, to occur. Do you have any like long term thoughts about how? Uh, L2 transfers will impact yield in DeFi? Um, that, that's a good question. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, ultimately we'll just keep attracting cap capital. And I say we, I mean Ethereum, uh, mm -hmm. it, until, you know, yields start to make more sense for the the, mm -hmm. the risk that people are taking. And, and so right now yields are very high. Uh, risk is very high. Um, as, as, you know, Ethereum becomes more mature and, and hop becomes more mature and, and, you know, Yearn becomes more mature. I, it, like all these different yield-producing protocols, uh, I, I would expect um, yield to kind of settle into uh, more in line with the traditional um, finance ecosystem. Is is yearn something that can be a liquidity provider for Hop? So, so we have talked about. Um, so, so back to like active liquidity and passive liquidity. So, so with, with the one passive liquidity is much cheaper than active liquidity. Uh, there's lower barriers to entry. You don't have to run the server process. Uh, and there's a lot of folks that are just mercenaries will, will throw yield. You know, it's very, very competitive. Um, and, and ultimately with the passive liquidity, you need those pools because if you don't have the actual asset for people to bridge into, then you know, they can't bridge. There's no way to kind of eliminate that that type of liquidity. Um, but this bonder liquidity, it, it, it just is essentially collateral. And, and mm -hmm. so right now, the, the bonder uh, uses the same asset that's being bridged. Um, but ultimately, we could uh, or we plan to, to move to a future where the bonder could kind of hold a basket of assets. Those could be yield bearing assets um, or, or, you know, they could be ETH. They could be you know, whatever uh, basket of assets that the bonder wants to hold. And they just use that as collateral uh, while earning uh, yield on it for uh, bridging assets across hop. And, and, and that's where I think we'll, we'll get uh, some big improvements in capital efficiency. Very cool. How, how are fees determined in hop? Um, so, so right now the bonder sets a fee and then the AMMs take um, a, a 0.04% uh, fee. So four basis points. 
Um, and then, you know, once we get to the multi-bonder model, then um, the uh, bonders will, will basically compete for, for lowest fees and, and that will kind of drive them down to a minimum. Do you kind of think that over the long term, over the many years, uh, that fees will kind of just collapse to the absolute minimum while also speed between L2s kind of increases? Is that the outcome for this? Yeah, Hop definitely scales up a lot better than it scales down. So, so you know, basically the, the larger amount of assets that we're transferring for each mm -hmm. of these settlements um, through layer one, then the, the, the cheaper we can get fees. So, so um, right now we're at the bonder charges um, 0.18%, so 18 basis points. Mm -hmm. um, pretty soon we're going to be, you know, we, we just scaled up the ETH liquidity. We're going to do the same with USDC. We're going to be able to drop that down to, to nine basis points. Um, and, and ultimately, I think we can get it to, um, you know, around four basis points or lower uh, for the bonder fees. You know, that seems to fit into the model of L2s that I've come to understand, where the more users and the more assets and the more economic activity that's happening on these L2s, the actual cheaper the fees actually are because they're amortized across all the users. Uh, and so not only is this true of the actual L2s themselves, um, but this is also true of, of, of HOP, as in the, the bridges between these L2s. Um, can you just uh, can you just uh, riff on that for a second? Do you think like this L two environment is just going to become faster, cheaper, stronger as more and more people just adopt it? Absolutely. Like e even even for myself, you know, I've been using DeFi on layer one. I just rebalanced a bunch of positions, and I, I just realized what am I doing on layer one? I'm I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just losing a huge part of my yield to transaction fees. Uh, layer two is here today, and and so. Um, yeah, I, I really think that, that um, soon here it will be very much, much more rare, especially for users that aren't dealing with, you know, uh, anyone who's not dealing with like hundreds of thousands of dollars is going to be on layer two and just stay on layer two because layer one is just too expensive. It makes a ton of sense. Um, can, are there any significant differences between how Hop is constructed versus how Connects is constructed that are worth talking about? Sure. So, so there's a few different bridge models. Um, so, so we already talked about Hop. Uh, we, we developed uh, this this technology, and, and so right now we, we're kind of alone in this this category. Um, and then another category is um, hash time locks, and and so this uh, is kind of a game where where you know you have one party uh, lock up assets on one chain with the secret. Mm -hmm. uh, the party uh, another party locks up uh, assets with the secret. And then um, someone reveals uh, the secret on uh, one chain, and then the other party can use that revealed secret to unlock on the other chain. And so um, hash time locks, they've been around for a long time. This is the same technology that underpins the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Um, and th there's, uh, you know, they work well in some scenarios. And, and, and then um, th there's some uh, difficulties and and you know, these difficulties are ultimately why we chose not to uh, take this approach when we were, we were looking at this problem with Ethereum. Um, and, and so one is that, you know, you have to wait for two rounds of finality. So, so uh, you know, the, the, uh, you, you can't move too fast when, when you're doing um, kind of the second uh, prepare transaction, and then you can't move too fast when you're, when you're revealing the secret. Um, otherwise, you, you're at risk of a, a reorg. And then the other one is that whoever goes first in this game uh, is kind of locking up their assets without any promise of the, the other party kind of locking up their assets. So if you have one party that has like reputation, uh, then things work really well uh, because, you know, you, they're, they're reputable and, and you know that they're not going to kind of like, you know, take, you know, lock up your assets without fulfilling the game uh, or something like that. 
Um, but then it gets harder to to like really decentralize that network um, because once things get competitive, then then you, you know you have to like layer in some kind of uh, reputation layer so, to make sure that you know you don't have parties entering and then just locking up people's funds so that that you know that that more assets route through their router or or something like that. Um, and then the the uh, third type of bridge is kind of this externally verified bridge, and that that's kind of what I was talking about with with you know, it could be a future direction of hop, um, but ultimately it introduces this, uh, it introduces a new trust model. And, and, and with, with hop, you know, uh, for going across layer twos, we, we want to just rely on Ethereum's trust model and, and see that as, as kind of the, the best way to scale um, in the near term. Um, but then for kind of addressing, you know, disjointed layer, layer ones, that's something that's, that's better suited for um, hash time locks or for these externally verified uh, bridges. Very cool. Let's let's talk about um, the organization behind Hot Protocol. How is the the protocol actually? Who who are the people around Hot Protocol, and how did they become organized? Mm -hmm. So uh, we launched uh, Hop towards the beginning of the year, um, and, and since then we've kind of had this community grow. Um, and then, you know, we, we have um, a company that, that kind of facilitates the development of the protocol. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so, so you know, as, as we move forward, we're, we're going to be kind of becoming more and more community uh, oriented. And, and uh, we're already starting to see, you know, community members that, that have developed like analytic dashboards or, or like uh, Twitter bots and, and stuff like that, which has been really cool to see. Is there an actual formal hop DAO? There's not. Will there be? There could be. There could be. Is there a hop token? Uh, there's not. Will there be? There could be. Okay. Awesome. Well, okay. What, what, what if I, uh, I don't know if there is an official hop roadmap, but what is left on the roadmap? Um, so, so there, there's a lot. So, so uh, right now we kind of have the first version of our bridge. Um, the next version of the bridge is, is very similar, uh, but enables uh, multiple bonders per an asset. Um, and, and so we're excited about that. And it also allows us to kind of consolidate like kind assets. So right now we have a separate bridge for, um, you know, each of our stable coins. Um, and in the next version, we're going to be able to kind of have like a single stable coin bridge, which is going to be much, much more efficient. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, it scales up really well. So, so it should allow us to, to drop the fees by a good amount. Um, and then, you know, we, we want to head to, uh, you know, we're heading in a direction where, where we're making kind of the, this like core uh, messaging protocol more generalized um, and, and that's going to enable some really cool stuff uh, in the future. Um, and then beyond that, we want to address um, the, the disjointed layer ones. And, and, you know, that that's going to be a big R and D effort to kind of figure out, you know, uh, what, what's the best way to do this in, in, a, in a really decentralized way. Um, even if we can't, you know, leverage the security of Ethereum for, for other uh, disjointed layer ones. Okay. Well, Chris, thank you for having extremely like powerful and concise answers. And so I think that's everything that I, I need to know about Hop. Is there anything that I missed or forgot to ask? Um, I, I think that's it. You know, we're we're really excited about um, the way you know everything's going. We're really excited about the way Ethereum's going, and and to you know we've been waiting for Layer Two for so long. So it's 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 been awesome to see that it's like actually here and it's usable. Um, and, and that we're seeing more and more layer twos kind of come online and get traction. Um, and yeah, if you, if you want to try the protocol, I'd, I'd recommend uh, visiting hop.exchange or, or uh, follow us on Twitter at hop protocol.
Um, and, and yeah, really appreciate you having me on the show. Chris, before you go, uh, outside of hop, uh, when you are d- done with work, done with developing, uh, what else about Ethereum excites you or do you pay attention to? Um, ooh, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, that's a hard question. Um, I, I, you know, dive into DeFi all the time. Like that's been super fun. I, like oftentimes like my entire Saturday is eaten up by just, you know, making, uh, you know, jumping around these different protocols, trying out new stuff. Um, I, I, uh, admittedly, uh, missed, I think a lot of the NFT craze. Um, it, it's been so awesome to see like how, how mainstream it's gone. And, and like, I, I, you know, was so kind of had my head in, in DeFi that, that I really just didn't see it going the way it did. And I like, I, I see your poster behind you. I, I know that you guys have been big <laughs> believers in it. So, uh, it's been awesome to see it. And, and um, but yeah, I, I, um, have been following closely, but, but not, not too involved on the NFT side of things. Um, and then, you know, DAOs have been a huge interest for, for a long time. So like just seeing, you know, uh, you know, Mola kind of kick things off and then, then Uniswap and, and Compound really start the, the, you know, more organized, uh, uh, or, or not more organized, but, but kind of the protocol of DAOs uh, has, has been awesome to see. It, 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 like, and so, you know, uh, excited to see more and more people like working for DAOs and, and having that be like a legitimate legitimized uh, type of organization. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's funny. It's funny that you, that you think I'm an NFT person because I definitely like align myself as a DeFi person. Uh, yeah. and it's like, it's also funny to see like all the DeFi people, like not really be, there. There's a separation between the DeFi people and the NFT people out there. Yeah. 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 And, and like, it's so cool. Like the, you know, the NFT communities are really taking off and it's just like, mm-hmm. it, it's so hard to keep up with everything these days. Like it, yeah. it really is crazy how far it's come. Is there room in the Hop protocol for cross L2 NFT transfers, or is that is Hop kind of only for fungible tokens? Absolutely. Um, you know, Vitalik put out a paper mm. uh, about a month ago for, for a cross chain NFT bridge, and we we think that that the the messaging piece of of Hop protocol is very well suited to kind of facilitate this this type of um, NFT bridge. And, and so like actually, he doesn't talk too much about how that that communication would would work in there, and, and so like. We see this as kind of a missing component and and would love to kind of implement that in the future. Well, there's a lot of things to be optimistic about with the future of Hot Protocol. So Chris, thank you for coming on and uh, telling us all about it. Thanks, David. Really appreciate it. Uh, So I I think you mentioned this, but just to reiterate, uh, what do you want listeners to do? Go try out Hop Exchange, follow Hop on Twitter, join the Discord. What else? Yeah, jump in the community. Um, you know, we're, we're always at Discord. So if you're looking for something to help, just start start chatting and, and you know, we'd love to, to find something. Um, and yeah, follow us on, on Twitter and, and uh, get your assets on Layer 2. There's real stuff happening and, and um, it's a lot cheaper than Layer 1. Very cool. Well, all of those links will be in the show notes if listeners want to hop into Hot Protocol. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining me. Thanks, David. Cheers. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. 
we recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.